We are I. Welcome, everybody, to this bright, sunny, beautiful day. I decided to do this outside, uh, obviously, because of the time of year that it is. And I just didn't feel like being inside because, as everybody knows, we all spend too much time inside these days. So um, months and months overdue, but welcome, Bridget. Thank you. It's good to see you again. Good to see you, too. Now, your laundry list of changes, is it this big, this big, or Uh... this big? It could be bigger. So uh, yeah, I just, I moved the clinic back to the house. So I've got a little um, room on the back of the house that has its own entrance. And I worked out of here when I was pregnant with and, and just had calliope. And then I went back into my office space. So I was in the office space for like seven or eight years. Um, and then just decided to, after COVID, I was uh, just using one treatment room and seeing one person at a time, which is honestly what I wanted to do to begin with. Cause I started out, um, with that sort of work doing energy healing one-on-one with people. And it, you can really get into a different space with everyone when you're doing one-on-one versus when you're doing the typical acupuncture clinic type scenario where you're running from room to room and Um, you can't really spend time doing energy work with people. So, um, so I like it better this way, you know, and I didn't need the big space. And honestly, I thought I would miss it. You know how, like when you have a habit, sometimes it's like, you think about the habit that you let go of and you think you want it. And then you're like, no, I'm actually not craving coffee or I really don't want sweets right now. It's this, it's the kind of similar thing. Like I drive past where the clinic was in, in that building on a, every single day. And I, last week, one time I drove by and I looked at it and it was almost like this weird thing in my brain where I was like trying to make myself miss it on some strange, like mm-hmm. strange level. And, and I was like, no, I just don't. So I'm really glad that I moved back into the home office and, um, I am also doing some metal smithing now. I'm, I'm making jewelry, which sounds like a stretch, but it's um, actually, I, I worked in a jewelry store all through high school and I've always loved stones and crystals. And I've done a lot of like crystal therapeutics with energy medicine and things like that. So I'm really familiar with the industry and, and with the stones themselves. And, you know, I always thought, it would be really cool to learn how to set the stones and cause I had done a lot of beadwork and stuff like that. So, um, I finally started to teach myself and I'm taking some online classes and I'm really enjoying it. So I've got a little bench set up in the, in the back room where the, where the acupuncture practice is. So it's kind of a lot in one small space, but so far so good. <laughs> See, there's, there's so many things there to, to touch on. Like for one, Uh, doesn't it feel nice to be content you know because like that's where that emotion I I assume is coming from is that when you drive past that space and like you 
you don't miss or you don't have like this remorse towards the space. It's just because you have that feeling of being content with this, the decision that you made and being content mm. with what your future looks like. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Really nice place to be. Yeah. And another thing is like, I've realized from the past, like, you know, like leasing lots of different commercial spaces is you kind of get into that, that area, especially for like people like you and I were like having to see more people and potentially offering not the service that you want or like not as good yeah. quality of service because you're just trying to, you know, pay the monthly bills at that space mm -hmm. versus if you do scale it back a little bit, they said it's not a regression it has nothing to do with, you know, the interpretation of like where you might be professionally, because, you know, being able to be in a more whole place yourself and offer a better quality service at a smaller scale is what we're all after anyway. You know, it's mm -hmm. not chasing, just offering like that, you know, real like flamboyant public service. We're seeing like multiple people treating multiple people in different rooms or three or four people in one room doing acupuncture things. Like we do a lot of that just to be able to make more money to be able to pay for the things that like exactly accumulated, but like scale all that back. And it's like, now you found a hobby. If like you've reconnected with this thing that you really like it. Yeah. Like I see the where like the, you scaled your life now, but like the quality of your life seems like it's dramatically increased. Absolutely. That's the way I feel. You know, I don't feel stressed about that additional overhead. I can afford so far, not wood to um, put the money into materials and like I want to get a jewelry bench because I just have a table and you know stuff like that that I'd have to like really plan for or uh, wish that I had or something um, and it would take me longer to get to and, and right now if everything continues the way it is it's it's okay um, yeah and the other thing is it, it made me realize like what my beliefs were connected to having that space, that public space, like I had with the clinic, um, how my ego was attached to that presentation for people coming in for the first time that didn't know me. Um, and, 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 and what my beliefs are surrounding what other people's expectations are and what their beliefs are projecting maybe what their beliefs are of someone who's successful is someone with the huge practice. That's, that's the misconception really. See, but it's only a misconception here because think of like theoretically like that same person that might be going for treatments that you offer and services that you offer. And then like, I connect that same person with somebody who would probably fly to India, hop on like a little, you know, like, broken down truck maybe or something to be able to you know go into like the jungle then you know would walk to like this ashram that you know may not even have like running water and like like this really scaled back you know from what we would expect in in western culture mm -hmm. you walk into like this commercial business it's this spa like feel and there's all these employees mm -hmm. and it's all officers but we would value that experience but then here it's like our minds just forget about all of that and we just let it go yeah. like it just doesn't make any yeah. sense to me yeah yeah true. I've been there because it's like I've I've had a home-based business and commercial businesses and I know exactly mm -hmm. what it feels like when you say you're kind of like battling with this uh perspective inside you that says well I don't want people to see me here because there's a certain element of me that doesn't feel as successful as what I could be because I don't have this other space but then this other space kind of takes away from everything that you want to do that makes you the professional that you are. It's just this mm. weird culture that we've accumulated. 
Yeah. I agree. What's everything else like there? Like I know we just are ruled by an iron fist a little bit more up here all the time. Um, I've heard that like in the States, things are starting to like open up. Obviously we see all the pictures and videos from Florida and places like that, but what's it like in Saratoga Springs right now? Um, well, the infection rate is, is low that they're reporting. It's under 2% the last time I checked, which is good. However, it seems to me like a lot of kids are getting it. And, um, I think in part it has to do with things reopening and people being like, you know, all caution to the wind because they've been vaccinated and, or they're half vaccinated and they're tired of it. And, um, you know, just are not being as people aren't as informed as they should be about what the reality of vaccination means in terms of COVID. And they're also, you know, just sick and tired of, of the whole thing. And so are kind of just like not, they think that they're not gonna like maybe catch it or give it to their kids or anything like that. And um, and doing plague groups and stuff like that indoors without masks. And so the, the infection rate in the kids is a little higher now, like with my daughter's school, for instance, before the spring break, they have gone the entire year until the last week in March without having to quarantine an entire classroom. And the last week in March, half the school got quarantined because that there were three or four classes that a child tested positive. And there were, there's other things, you know, I'm hearing other things like that. So, so, you know, it's like, um, there's just a really, it's a really strange place that we're in. I mean, for me personally, what I'm seeing is a lot of people are wearing masks, but then a lot of people aren't out on the streets and stuff. Um, the CDC is, has given out kind of confusing information once again, and um, people don't really know what's going on. They're just either don't want a vaccine or they're fully vaccinated. And um, one or two things, once they're vaccinated, they're still afraid or they're, they're not, they just are, are not being cautious at all. And so it's kind of like a tricky scenario. And so um, for me personally, um, I got vaccinated and I got the Johnson and Johnson vaccine because intuitively that's the one I felt like I wanted. And um, I'm glad that I did when I did it because then they, you know, stopped having that one available for a couple of weeks because of blood clots. And here's an interesting thing. It was reported in the New York Times that, um, this is a tangent, but yeah, go for <laughs> here it. I go. Go for so, it. So uh, it was reported in the New York Times that, um, that the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is the only one that's been recognized as causing blood clots. And I distinctively remember um, not long after the Moderna, it was either Moderna or Pfizer, I think it was, fights are the first one that came out that there was a doctor in Florida who actually died of thrombocytopenia. He had a massive stroke and yep. he was previously healthy. Do you remember hearing about this? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yep, absolutely. And, and the New York times 
the same paper that was publishing these reports on the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines, there's more than that one, is the one that in, they quoted a, a federal official as saying that the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines do not carry that risk. However, later in the article, they never followed that up with the fact that there were accusations of it, but the federal government never followed up on the Moderna and Pfizer risks. So really there is this risk with all of the vaccines, but that's not what is being reported. And I find that very interesting. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, so anyway, I got, I got that vaccine and um, I don't know, we'll see what happens. I, they don't have a lot of data yet on how long yeah. it lasts or any of that. See, and like, so this, like, kind of like bringing it back to the whole like misinformation like like that's us out here like 101 too and i i'm fairly confident that everybody kind of globally is getting fed a little bit of confusing misinformation whatever you may want to call it because you know like you we can do this you can't do this okay well if you're under 30 take this vaccine if you're over 30 don't take this vaccine but what you should do if you have a vaccine available to you take it no matter what it's like right. how does that how does that make sense <laughs> Like, why even say the first two things if oh you're going to follow God. it up with just like, but like, know. that's our narrative out here. I don't know if you guys are getting that same thing. Yeah. But you know, I'm like, what's the point? The point should I just know. be like, if, if that's your follow up, if that's your conclusion to it, just say, go do whatever. Because like, at the end of the day, it's either like you're going to get it or you're not going to get it. And I don't think that people are going to be so picky and choosy. But the, the interesting thing, and I don't know if you've heard any of this and if you have go on any kind of tangent or rant that you want to but um <laughs> some of the things that like i want to cover is just like the differences in the vaccines i still feel like that's there's never been enough education between like the mnr mrna vaccines and the other ones and the differences between those but like now how some countries are even posting i think denmark officially this is the only article that i think it was denmark that i seen um where that they will only take in tourists that have the Pfizer and Moderna vaccine and no other vaccines. So like now they're even being like picky and choosy about like what vaccines you'll let in where, you know, and then you have like this whole vaccine shedding, um, you know, thing that's coming about. And then on top of that, it's like, well, now it's like, well, there's certain age populations saying that if you've got vaccinated, that you might be more susceptible to getting one of the variants if you got one of the mRNA uh, variants. So like, Really? I didn't hear that. Yeah. Like you have like all of these different things. And like I said, I haven't done a whole lot of research, like into like any one of them specifically, because I feel like any specific topic with COVID is just like an immediately, like you're to the center of the earth, that rabbit hole gets so deep (laughs) and stuff. But it's like, but like, the thing is like, like we can't deny, like a lot of these things do become a little bit, you know, prevalent. They are a part of it. And, you know, rushing these vaccines like this up until this point, it's like, well, but we need to talk about these things. The part for yeah. me that I have like the hardest part with all like just drives me bananas is it's the only narrative is that one, like what we just talked about. It's like, get this vaccine if you're under 30, get this vaccine if you're over 30, you know, but if you have a vaccine that you can get, just take it, period. Why is that confusing narrative, the only narrative that's being promoted? And why is nothing else being talked about? Like, I have a really tough time with that because then you just tunnel vision people. And it's like, when, when did it get to be like a point that we don't actually look at wanting to educate anybody? 
and just like force the the force fed message is you know like there should be a risk or there might be a risk if you take it if you're under this age there might not be a risk if you take it over that age so you should take a different one but take anything like why is that mm. the message because like that message doesn't make sense to me like and mm. for me then it's just like well if, if you want me to enter into like this agreement with you based on that intellectual property i'm out I can't have a conversation with somebody where like, that's their argument, you know, or just like, you know, it's just like, there's, I realize there's no, there's nothing past that because it's like logically something like that doesn't make sense to me. It's like, well, if there's a, a risk for me, why you'd even suggest that if I'm under 30, I take this one or over 30, take this one. Like, why, why not tell me why, or why then follow is like, well, there might be a risk, but maybe the risk isn't that great of it or not that big of a deal so just do whatever you want anyway it's just like well how about i just not wear a mask then or like how about i just not sanitize my hands or you know like how about how sanitizing everything was a big deal and then it became not a big deal but nobody ever talked about it but everybody kept sanitizing everything it's just like well but then they say like this surface rate of infection is extremely low like you don't even or shouldn't even have to sanitize stuff just clean things like you normally would but we don't have to be so hypersensitive with cleaning things but Again, it's not really talked about, but everywhere you go, yeah. there's still hand sanitizing things everywhere. You know, and the interesting thing with this too, is I think that the, um, that the guidelines that at least in the United States are being set forth are not entirely based in the science. I think that they're taking into consideration a lot of um, economical and um, other factors when they make the guidelines. And I think think that that's part of why it is so confusing because they're not being straight and they're not coming straight from the science and they're not talking to people about adapting to the reality of what this thing is they're not telling anyone exactly what it is because they don't completely know themselves maybe and then from there um like I said, the guidelines take into account other things other than the hard science. And part of the reason for that is because they don't have a lot of hard science. Mm. Um, part of the reason for that is some of what's accepted as hard science at first ends up changing a few months later. So um, yeah, it's a, it's a tricky, it's, it's just a bizarre scenario all the way around. Mm -hmm. Well, and like that, like the point is actually funny because like right before we hopped on, on this chat, um, I looked at somebody that, you know, like I know and I trust and I respect her, but she posted this thing on Instagram that I thought was really interesting. And she's just like, do you remember when we were told cigarettes were good? Do you remember when we were told asbestos was good? Like, do you remember when we yeah. were told, you know, like just like these different little milestones, how like this science, you know, like at the time, you know, so they're good, but then it looped back around. And, you know, obviously I take that like subjectively and anybody listening, you know, I take too. But again, it's that there's two sides to all stories. And like that's with this is that it's become such a tunnel vision story that it's yeah. like the only thing is that like, you know, everything is crazy. You should not accept any theory, anything, except for like the, all the vaccines are just awesome and amazing. And it's like, I'm sure there's something else we should be talking about here because whenever we get so tunnel vision with anything in life, no matter what it is, like it's not good. And like, that's the, that's the problem where I have. It's like, why can't we, or why does it seem like we're not allowed or why we shouldn't, 
or why even all the voices that talk about it on like YouTube or social media or any of these different platforms, the content gets pulled. Like we're not even allowed to have like open debate and conversations about what alternative narratives may be. And the interesting part to me is like you see this really big groundswell of like doctors and psychologists and counselors actually starting to get really vocal about the effects of like what COVID-19 have had like on people that supersede like the dangers of COVID-19 itself and the variants and stuff. And I found it like you've kind of always had like this underground population of doctors that have kind of talked about it. You know, lots of doctors have got their stuff pulled off YouTube, but like there's getting to be so much of it now. Like you can't not run into it, even if you're not looking for it. Like there's just a lot of opinion that's starting to kind of like circulate and stuff, which I find to be refreshing because then it kind of pulls us out of the rabbit hole a little bit. And I think logic starts to play in a little bit more about, well, what, what should we be doing? And like, what is reasonable? Because I find that's the one thing for like us up here is because, you know, like our third wave wasn't supposed to be till September. And now it's just magically before May long weekend. So I always tell everybody like my logic with this, with our government now says the fourth wave is going to be before summer. The fifth wave is going to be when kids go back to school. The sixth wave is going to be, you know, at Christmas time. The seventh wave is going to be like after the kids come back from Christmas holidays. Because those are just the cycles of how we go through infections normally anyway. Like, and that's always been like that. So like, where does logic and where does reason come in as saying, maybe we need to do something a little bit different. And that's where a conversation to me happens because then you don't get people who are like, I feel like what you said, you know, like you have all these people that are like, well, now I'm vaccinated. I'm completely free, blah, blah, I can do whatever I want. And, you know, maybe helping or hindering. We don't know. But like, I just feel like, because you, we want to make it so polarizing, like there's this only tunnel vision perspective you should have. And if you're outside of that, you're this far right crazy person. But it's like, well, there should be something because I feel like we'd have more respect for each other's opinions if we allowed more opinion to be able to enter the discussion, except for the only opinion that like we should shut down the economy, get vaccinated. And then once that happens, then we can get back to normal. Right. That's my rent. Yeah, <laughs> but like where like what's kind of um, like where are you guys at like coming into you know like uh, like May long weekend or like the summer holidays anything like that like I know our narrative out here is still like by summertime like everything's going to kind of be back up and running is that the same message that they're you lifting all there? the restrictions in New York State this month and oh, really? I believe that the government the governor of Florida has also lifted all restrictions. I had some clients that have come in recently and been to Florida and said that like nobody's wearing masks down there. Um, so, you know, I am a little leery of that. I, I don't feel like throw all caution to the wind is the right answer either because we, I mean, just look at what's happening in India. Mm-hmm. That is devastatingly tragic. And, yep. um, it does, doesn't mean it can't happen here. You know, we already were close to it in New York state in the beginning. And um, we were close to it getting out of control to where it could get to that point. Um, so, you know, lock everything down is obviously not the right answer, but give people enough information and um, give them the science and, 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 do it over and over again until they understand it and they can make sense out of it. 
um, you know, explain if you're going to say, get this vaccine at this age and this one at that, like explain why and give people the choice. Um, we know that virus can't mutate if it doesn't infect someone. So the purpose of the vaccinations is not only so that the health systems don't get, don't crash, but so that the virus can't mutate to something worse and more infectious and more virulent. So, but that's not like how they're putting it. They're not saying we don't want the hospitals, you know, to get overrun. So please get a vaccine. They're not saying, you know, the only place a virus is going to mutate is in your body. So please get a vaccine. They're not giving people that information. It's like, they're getting a piece of this and a piece of that. And like, part of the reason that president Biden came on and said, these are the guidelines you, you know, for, for two people who are vaccinated, you can go unmasked outside. If you're not in a crowded area, people aren't going to hear not in a crowded area. They're going to hear go unmasked outside, but that's besides the point. Part of the reason he went on and did that is because they're trying to show people that they will have more freedoms if they get vaccinated. But they're not like coming out and just saying that, you know, it's like this sneaky kind of backdoor weird way of doing it. Mm -hmm. And it's, it, and most people aren't seeing it that way. They're just not thinking about it. And I think people, I think people need to think more about it and, and be more realistic with, with the whole scenario. Even like, that's my point though, where it is, why can't they, or more more importantly, why won't they? Why won't they just come out and say, you know what? This is the straight and skinny. You're adults. If you do this, life's going to be easier for you. Life is going to look what you want it to look like. That is so much easier than this beat around the bush perspective. And like they've done that with us out here, even like with travel from the very beginning. It's like, well, all travel is restricted except for non-essential travel. So everybody's like, well, okay, well, I can't travel then. Or I can't go here, I can't go there, I can't do any of this stuff. And it's just like, well, but then you find out that person XYZ, like in the insurance agency, it's like, well, they can do anything because like, that's essential. It's like, well, if that's essential, why isn't what I'm doing essential? You know, like, but I feel like it's just these kind of like really vague guidelines, like right from the beginning. And there's, there's never mm -hmm. been a change of that narrative. It just keeps perpetuating mm -hmm. this yeah. vagueness, which leads people to be like, well, I'm just going to make up my own opinion based on this faith. And then you have somebody else coming, well, that's not what it meant. It's like, well, that's what it meant to me. It's like, then they, uh, one thing that we have out here in BC is that if you ask 10 people and they talk about it on the news all the time, if you have 10 people, you'll get 10 different answers. So yeah. from a government standpoint, like why would you be like, well, this is a problem. But what our premier has done, which is like your governor is just said, you know, like, I don't think they're vague. It's like, well, at Christmas time, you thought you could get your whole family together and have a Christmas dinner until your publicist told you that might look bad. So you didn't even understand your own rules that you're out publicly telling people. Yeah. And that's just the message that is snowballed continually all the time. You know, mm -hmm. and like for me too, it's like out here, I feel like we have, we have this hyper-concentrated population. We have about 2.5 million people who live in Metro Vancouver. And we have... 5 million people who live in our entire province. Well, 
a vast majority of those other people live on Vancouver Island, which is a very small geographical area. And we're supposed to stay within our health regions. But in Metro Vancouver, even though there's different health regions in Metro Vancouver, like it's about 0.5% of our total landmass. We have a lot of people now, they're just like, if you just let me go, I will go camping. I will take my trailer. I might stop for gas, mm-hmm. but I'm going to have all my own mm-hmm. food, all my own drinks. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be around less people. If I'm here and can stay within my own health region, I'm probably going to the swimming pool, going to the mall, going to do all this stuff, going to Home Depot because I want to do renovations on my home, doing all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But the alternative would be is you just let me go. So like, yeah, I know a lot of people like myself are just talking about the who go into like the backcountry, go camping. It's like, if you just came on and said like, look, you know, if you want to go camping, go camping, but try to limit your only stop just getting gas. Pack everything you need with you and just go get some gas and go enjoy yourself. What we're trying to limit is you stopping at all these places in these communities, which all the people that are going to camping aren't doing unless if they need gas anyway. But what you want to do is hyper-focus and concentrate all these people together. And then they're just more likely to have friends coming over because they're bored. They would normally not be at home and they want to have that social interaction where it's the, you know, outside of being a Monday morning armchair quarterback, like when you look at, you have this entire province and you want to force everybody into this tiny little pocket. What makes more sense when you're thinking of infections, if you're going to force everybody into this, like half a percent of landmass, you might as well just lock everybody in their house. Cause anything outside of that, you walk around now, you go to the grocery store, like I said, like Home Depot, Ikea, like all these places, they're packed like absolutely packed. And even if our people are wearing masks, is that really the better alternative than people going out camping in their trailer with their family? It sounds like you guys have more restrictions regarding travel than we do. And they're getting worse. Like they're like our restrictions are getting worse. They're not getting better. And I wonder if that's because of the Indian variant, because they did find it in Oregon and Washington state. Well, and that's why I say, you know, infection rates are going up. Like hospitalizations haven't changed. When you look at like the BCCDC, our hospitalization rates from the very beginning right into now have been exactly the same, you know, but like our cases have gone up, but the effect mm-hmm. of those cases has not changed. Like there is still a very baseline, like the CDC puts it out, but nobody looks at it and never right. gets reported on. You know, but now because the cases are going up there, like we have our government officials saying, okay, well, the cases have gone up now. So we got to freak out again. But if you just look at the hospitalizations, you know, like, yeah, you might have had like a 60% increase in cases. But if your hospitalizations have had like a 2% increase, like, what are we really talking about here now? Right. So like, yeah, so this is kind of like where we're at, where it's like Canada's kind of getting to this really weird place. And like, the provinces are slowly just like buying into this system of locking down more and more and having more restrictions uh, all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's just, um, and then, like you said, then in the, in the States, you have like all these um, States lifting restrictions and stuff. And to me, like yeah. when we see that it only creates more like resentment when you see other people who are in this very same similar situation, but it's very different methodologies of how it's being handled. You know, which like mm-hmm. you guys see in the States between like Florida and Texas and like some of these places where it's like they've had very different methodologies right from the very beginning. And it's not like they're any worse for the wear than what anybody else has been. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I want your yeah. opinion on on vaccine shedding. Have you heard anything about this? Do you know anything about it? Um, I don't really I see, see how that can. I 
because what would you be shedding? You'd be shedding the spike protein because it's not the actual virus. So I don't understand how I've had people come into me and, and say that, and I can see that being an argument if it were a live viral vaccine, mm-hmm. like um, some of the flu vaccines have been, but I, I, it's just the programming for your body to make a spike protein and then react to it. So I don't understand how shedding a spike protein could give somebody the virus. Maybe because it, it's not it, the whole virus. Yeah. Like what is a spike protein specifically? Like when, when people talk about like, oh, I might come in contact with this spike protein. Like, like what is that? It's a little thing that's, that's on the end. I believe if you look at like an illustration of the coronavirus, like a magnification of it, it's like this ball with these spikes coming out. I think that's what it is, is one of those spikes. And that sticks to... <clears throat> it sticks to the cells and that's how it infects the cell. And so if your body makes the protein and then from there stimulates your immune system to respond to the protein, what it's doing is so that if you do get infected with the virus, your body's gonna recognize that protein. So when you get the vaccine, you're not getting the whole virus, you're getting the programming to make and respond to that protein. So then like you think like, I guess the controversy from like what I'm following out here is that like, you know, like the people who don't want to be vaccinated, you know, and then worried about this vaccine shedding is saying like, well, now I have to be six feet away from you because then I no longer have a choice for this not to enter my body when that's what I'm doing by making a choice that not to get vaccinated. I don't that think that being- it's it. I don't, I don't honestly see how that's possible that it could even be a thing. Cause it would be like, if there was a mosquito wing floating around <laughs> on the breeze and it, and it touched your skin, that's different than being bit by a mosquito, mm-hmm. you know, like that's, it doesn't seem, to, it just seems to me like if you were, if someone was shedding the, the protein, it would just be like something in the air that yeah. wouldn't re- that wouldn't really, it can't infect you. Mm-hmm. But even like not from like an infection standpoint, I think like the people um, who I know or well, not that I necessarily know who are kind of like, like following that or like posting about it or, you know, like the people that are talking about that they're posting about um, is just saying that they just don't want anything entering their body that they're not making a choice that has to do with this like COVID-19 or the vaccine or anything like that. Yeah. Anyway, I think like that is more of like a, like an ethics or morality position for right, them saying gotcha. that like, you know, like I've made a choice not to have any part of this vaccine, like into my body. Um, but mm-hmm. now just simply being around people, that fundamental choice is being taken away from me, which is, I'm going to, yeah. Yeah. Which we you know, I was just saying like, which, which is a, an interesting area to be able to live. Cause again, you know, like what you were saying, like how many, how many voices from like a, a government standpoint or like a major media outlet are actually talking about this vaccine shedding where they could explain it like that, where, you know, maybe 10%, maybe 60%, maybe 80% the people who are worried about this vaccine shedding then may not be when they hear what that actually means or like hear right. like what like is actually the narrative around it. Because like when you hear like vaccine shedding, when I first seen it, I'm just like, Whoa, I'm like, 
well, what is that? Like, I've never even heard of something like that before, mm-hmm. you know, but then it becomes like, you know, like this little bit of information. And then I can't stand Googling things or looking at things on social media because I don't want to be inundated with it. So it's like mm-hmm. trying to find like an independent way. That's why I wanted to talk to you about it and like reserve mm-hmm. my opinions or my research or really kind of getting rabbit hold with it because I just, I don't like how all of these algorithms then will just inundate me with this information until I start looking at other stuff. Um, Cause then mm-hmm. I don't want to have like this super distorted, you know, view of reality what's going on either, because obviously we know, like I said, like everything right. is so polarizing with what side do you want to be on that? But like, there's just, there's no counter to it. It's like this, like I said, vaccine shedding over here, super bad, terrible. And then there's like, get your vaccine. But there's nobody talking about like the gap in the space in between that. So that's why I'm happy that you spent a little bit of time kind of explaining yeah. what that may look like, because there is nothing, nothing that I've really come across anyway. No. And, you know, um, people just aren't educated about the entire thing from to begin with. People don't understand what vaccines are, how they work, what viral shedding is how that can occur, what it means, what, what even, what shedding is, you know, even without a vaccine, if you, I mean, we're all shedding stuff all the time and that's, um, it's in, in the microbiome book, there's that analogy of pig pen and there's the image of the pool and the tarot deck. Like we're all walking around like that. We have no idea all the stuff that's coming off of us and all the stuff that's coming into us you know, we're just part of everything else. And so, you know, that hasn't been explained. People don't understand what the six feet is Mm -hmm. and why people don't understand. Like here, they're saying kids only need to be three feet apart and why. And it's, it's just, it's, um, it's tragic how they haven't explained from the beginning what's truly happening and how it works. Because if they did, people, I think a lot more people would be like, oh, all right. And they'd be able to make informed decisions. And now that there are people getting vaccinated, the guidelines are different for everybody. Are you partially vaccinated? Are you fully vaccinated? What does that mean? What does that mean for you to be in a space with other people who are vaccinated and with other people who aren't vaccinated and um, can you still catch it? Can you still transmit it? Like these are all gray areas. It's not being explained. There are different guidelines from the CDC based on all those things and people don't understand why. All they hear is if they're vaccinated that they're vaccinated and they think that that's this uh, like magic. um, Golden ticket thing and um no it's just it's it, so I'm I'm trying to explain to some clients that come in too and they're like oh well do I need to can I not wear my mask and because they've heard two people that are fully vaccinated in the same room can have no mask on and they haven't heard you can still possibly transmit you can still possibly catch it Um, the person coming in after you might not be vaccinated. Like those things, they're not like, it's not computing. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I do what I can to, to educate people about it. And, and, and and at the same time, educating people is empowering people. It's not like they're getting educated about it. And then they're feeling like they need to like 
totally surrender their rights and their individuality and their freedom. It's like you get educated about something, then you can make choices and you can weigh the risks for yourself and then take action, right? So you go on that trip to Mexico, but know that this is, you know, the deal and do what you need to do in order to protect yourself and your family on the way down and back. And that's all you can do. Is that a risk you're willing to take? Yes or no. And so that's the deal. Like you need to figure out what's the best thing for you, obviously, but having the correct information, I think is so important. And like you said, a lot of the correct information isn't even available. Like there, there's that huge gray area. And that's really where our common sense and our intuition needs to come in at this point. I mean, to me, it blows my mind that anybody in the beginning of this, seeing the images coming out of China, would think for a second that this thing was only transmitted via surfaces or primarily surfaces. Like the first imagery I saw on that, I was like, oh, <laughs> this is not good. And this is definitely air transmissible. And why are they telling people not to wear masks? Uh, why aren't they admitting? Why is the WHO not, you know what I mean? It's like, we have to use our common sense and our, and our own intellect in order to decipher what the truth is. And unfortunately for a lot of people, we need to educate ourselves on what the actual science is and where the science ends and take it from there, whether we like what the science says or not. Yeah, and the interesting part, like when you bring up that it is, is exactly, it's not that it's not like they didn't know. It's just that they specifically lied to people and said not to wear a mask because they were worried about mask shortages. But that's the problem. Is that because then everything else under that becomes tainted? Because the, the part that I find to be really frustrating and irritating is that if you're so worried about telling people the truth, not you, sorry. I, I, I know, I know, I get it. You. If, <laughs> if, if the government or public officials are so worried about explaining the full story and letting adults make adult decisions, why are they so concerned that they're, the decision that us as adults are going to make are going to be contrary to what they want? That's the astonishing part to me, yeah. is that you feel like you have to lie, manipulate, and steal to mm -hmm. be able to force people to think how you want them to think. It, instead just giving them the information they need to be able to make informed adult decisions right because the one thing that i say to people i'm like i'm like i'm not going to get vaccinated right now that's my opinion it's not that i'm not going to one thing that'll really come to head to me is because i love to travel and i know when i when it comes to traveling i'm gonna have to get vaccinated but guess what when i travel there's usually vaccines i have to get before i travel anyway exactly it's just, falls into that category with yep. me and for me is like, that's where I compartmentalize it. Is that like, mm -hmm. that's my perspective. It's like, well, cause I have people it's like, well, you won't be able to travel. It's like, I'm not traveling right now anyway. Like, right. I, you know, yeah, I would love to go to Costa Rica right now and just like hang mm -hmm. out for a little while. But I'm like, right now, that's not an option to me when it becomes an option. And if Costa Rica says you need to have a COVID-19 vaccination, well, guess what? Blake's going to be going down to the doctor to get a vaccination, you know, like, but like, that's, that's my perspective, you know, and like, mm. when I look at it, like, yes, there's, there's still a transmissibility between like people and like presidents, but there is for everything. Now, if this was as serious as what they said it was going to be at the beginning. And there was an actual um, relative transfer to things like the Spanish flu, then I would, but that's my adult decision. But when you tell me something like death is looming and it, and it's not, 
Like I'm going to make the decision what's best for me based on that, because Mm -hmm. I spend enough time talking to people and and I will spend, you know, time on PubMed. I will spend some time on the the internet. I will research both sides. You know, like I will try to look at, and I will look at all of the different opinions, multiple different news outlets, outlets from like around the world and say, what are some of the other narratives around this? Because, and like I said, like the, the part to me that I find to be really interesting is Again, not only the amount of like doctors, scientists, you know, like clinical counselor or psychologist uh, counselors, but the amount of politicians outside of um, North America that are actually starting to publicly speak out against like the, like the COVID-19 because they're not scared anymore or, you know, just offering their true opinion on vaccines and their true opinion on COVID-19. And like, why couldn't we have this discussion at the beginning? Why was everybody so scared to have a conversation? Because it's not like, it's not like the whole world is going to boycott getting vaccinated. It's not like the whole world is just going to like boycott doing these things, you know, but at the end of the day, it's like when, when you take like the, the authoritarian fear-based model out of it, when we, when this happens again, because we all know it's going to, something like this is going to happen again. How many people yeah. do you think are going to be resistant to doing any of this stuff when it happens that time? How, because of how this was treated this time? And not how it was treated initially. We all get it. Things are going to be mismanaged that are new. But how it was continually treated like that over the course of almost like 18 months, how that narrative has never changed. That's how people are going to go in to a next event like this. And what's going to happen then? Because there's, I feel like there's going to be substantial more pushback of like any kind of restrictions, mask wearing, anything like that the next time because of like this groundswell of people that are starting to come up and just saying like, I wish I could always have just voiced my opinion. It's not that my opinion is very much different. It's just like, hey, I have this other 5% of information that I think that people should know. Or it's just like, hey, well, yeah, there may be not be enough like N95 masks for people, but don't tell them not to wear masks at all because everybody's still walking around essentially like this anyway with cloth over their face, which is yeah. from what we've talked about before, doing relatively nothing anyway. So why not just tell them that, you know, so like, again, like, where do we sit going into this next one? Like, that's kind of like where my mind looks at her. Like, what if it's not a viral related thing? Like, what if it has nothing to do with like a virus, but just like, like anything, like there's just, there's so much distrust of information and it's not getting any better. And we know the internet and social media has been so bad for that for so long now, but mm-hmm. now we've had the government like amplify that, you know, and like public officials amplify that, like over this whole COVID-19 situation. And like, when, where do we go for trusted information? Like that's, that's the part to me is like, where can we actually go where you can read something or look at something or hear something and be like, yeah, I feel good. Like, like I don't need to question the authenticity. I don't need to question the funding. I don't need to question the narrative. I don't need to question whether this person may be lying to me because they have like the public interest at good, you know, like, like, where do you go for that now? Mm. You know, it's where like my mind kind of gets into the rabbit hole with this, as you can clearly yeah. tell by the tone of my voice, right? But yeah. <laughs> well, no, it's it's um it's true and and social media makes it worse mm-hmm. because yeah. everyone becomes the authority mm-hmm. and publications can they exist that are putting false narratives out there. Mm-hmm. And for some reason or another, it'll resonate with someone, then it becomes, you know, a viral meme. And then, you know, there's a whole movement before you, before you know, it's like, 
Yeah, that's a good question. And I think that those things always need to be being questioned. Mm-hmm. Um, even when we are reading a trusted source, you know, whether it's, I mean, I, I've, I've generally, I've generally um, been okay with the New York Times. Mm-hmm. That's why I was so surprised when they wrote that one article the way they did. I was like, hmm, that's not cool. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, but, um, but that's not my only source either, right? Like I'm talking to people who are, treat, uh, who are having the experiential awareness of treating people with long COVID. I'm talking to people who have connections with doctors in China, especially, you know, like when this first emerged. Um, I've got friends in India I'm talking to, and I'm reading not just the New York Times, I'm reading the Washington Post, I'm reading the Atlantic, I'm reading, um, you know, I'm looking at Medium and, and PubMed and, you know, a bunch of different things. And then I'm also putting Fox News on to see what it is that they're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's generally not the line of, of logic that I follow for the most part, but it's good to get the other side because there's a hint of truth and everything. Right. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's really about collecting information from, from many different places. It's like about gathering and really, I, that's the best thing that you could do. I don't think there is one. um, There isn't one place. Journalism isn't what it used to be. Now it's mostly propagandism. See, and it's and like, run by private industry or by lobby, you know, money or, you know, political uh, ideology. And so that's the problem. Mm-hmm. And um, I get that. And that, it disappoints me because, you know, I tend to be an idealist and I, I was in I, I, I was a journalism minor in college because I couldn't be a major at the school I went to. And um you know, I learned from really high quality ethical journalists that really were trying to represent a topic. You learn to represent a topic from both sides. And you learn when you write a story that even though you may like it to go this way and you may agree with this person, you have to put the opposing viewpoint in the story. And so that way people are getting both sides of the story. And that is not the way it's done anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge problem because like you said, where do people go? Well, see, and like the thing is like you kind of outlined like a really key piece of framework. There is like you listed probably what, eight, 10, 12 different places that you go to be able to collect information like what you said. But the one thing like that, when I talk to people, I'm like, what independent research have you done? Like what, what one article have you looked at except for just this pumped out like narrative this this auditory narrative that like you you hear on the radio or that you might watch on tv but what have you done past that almost everybody says nothing and like that worries me this is like how easily we can be spoon-fed information without even subjectively looking at like is there one other article i should be looking at here is there any other perspective like, exactly. like what would happen if i spent an hour researching the opposite of what i just heard because like how many people do what you do where you turn on Fox because you don't. Not many. Them? That's the most healthy thing you can do. 
Because then you're not just trapped in the land of confirmation bias. You know, like, we're like, oh, I'm going to turn on, like, you know, MSNBC or, you know, because that's what I believe in. So that's the only news outlook I'm going to look at. Like, well, you go the right. opposite way and say, I'm going to actually challenge my viewpoints because it's like what everybody says about sarcasm. There's some truth in all sarcasm. Well, this mm-hmm. is going to be exactly the same way. It's like, well, what little bit of information is going to challenge you to have an inspirational thought of like, maybe I should go look into this. But then are people even going to look into it past that anyway? And like, this is this culture that we've all morphed into now where it's just, I'm going to blindly trust this information. And even when you look at like how many media companies or like the the big top ones own all these little ones, even if you might be looking at like four or five different sources, do you know that they're all owned by the same company? Because they typically are, you know, like they, do you specifically look at like, what's the opposing view? Where can I go to find the opposing view to like how I feel? And like, that's why, like, for me, it's like, I love having conversations with you. It's like, I know that like, you know, we typically kind of, you know, a little bit on like either side of it, but there's a lot of stuff where we meet in the middle. And Mm -hmm. I feel like that that's, those are the conversations that if people were allowed to have that common ground, we probably would have done a way better job. All of us of being able to handle this. If both of those conversations could have in the middle ground was found, except for just only having to listen to this and this only. And mm-hmm. stuff. And you know, like that's the the big takeaway. Now, I'm really glad that you highlighted that because it is something that we we have that personal responsibility to us. Because I I specifically try to be inflammatory to people when they say, "Why well, listen to this?" And because it's within the public good or within the public interest or socially responsible, I do this. I'm like, yeah, well, you know, so were a lot of things. I'm sure. So a lot it's of people- not driving your car or eating meat. Yeah, you know, like I see everyone stopping that right away. That's what I mean. But but I'm sure a lot of people probably in Germany when Hitler is in power that probably thought they were doing a lot of stuff that's in the public interest too, because they didn't look past that. You know, I'm sure a lot of people that lived in a communist society thought, like, hey, I'm doing this to be socially responsible. Turned out to be not that great of an idea. Even when we made like things like marijuana illegal, we were doing that to be socially responsible. Look how that turned out. You know, so like it's what happens when we don't look at any other side. And like, again, I pick out like really inflammatory viewpoints, but they're incredibly relative to the conversation when people just mm. stick to a singular narrative and try not to understand what may be the, the holes. Like, cause everything has a little bit of a Swiss cheese component to it. And if you're not yeah. willing to look at the holes, you know, you only can kind of get caught up in the meat of things and everything's going to look good. And the internet's proved that to us. If you want something to be good, or if you want something to be true, really easy to be able to do that these days but like what it's what's hard is to be able to actually challenge yourself to think outside of your little box and step outside of your comfort zone and be like i'm going to challenge my own thought process on this and like where did this land you know and i find that like for me i typically think i'm a little bit of that happy medium where it's just like i'm not an anti-vaxxer i'm not a pro-vaxxer i'm just a vaccinator at a specific point in time when it becomes relevant to my life i'm going to do it That could be in a day mm-hmm. from now, it could be in a week from now, it could be for a month from now, totally fine. But the only thing is I wasn't vaccinated for a lot of other things until it was a necessity either. You know, so yeah. when people say it's like, well, it's an immediate necessity now, I'm like, what is it? You know, like, because there's a lot of other things that like you're not vaccinated for that there might be at a point in time where it becomes an immediate necessity for you to get it, but it doesn't mean it's an immediate necessity now. But it's like, there's a wall there. There's like a restriction yeah. of thought that's like, well, that doesn't make sense to me. It's just like, well, why don't you just get vaccinated for everything, for every place you could potentially travel then? 
just in case of you might end up traveling there, you know, like just a little bit of a challenge. I'm not saying that the way that I think is the best way to think, but it's an alternative or it challenges an alternative way of thought. And you can see on that scale where you may or may not land, you know, it may make it so that you're not camped outside of Walgreens looking, you know, for your vaccine and like, you know, paying people to take their spot in line, you might feel more comfortable waiting two weeks. You know what I mean? And you're not so stressed out because that anxiety that you're going to feel along the way is not healthy for you either. Right. But we're all really comfortable with like assuming that like that super anxious anxiety of like, when can I get it? When can I get it? When can I get it? It's just like, why just relax? Because you know what? Yeah. What are you going to change really after the fact anyway? Because there's not a whole lot that's going to change for you except for these now super confusing guidelines of like, you know, if you fall into category A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, you can do things different to those categories. And then I'll just let you micromanage what category you fall in. And then if you step outside mm-hmm. of that, I'll tell you that you're wrong. Instead of just creating like a singular category or like a couple categories that everybody fits into. Right. Yeah. But all that is, I'm going to shift gears a little bit here because I want to ask you how you picked, I, I think we talked about this before, but I couldn't remember I want to ask you something after the fact, how you pick the topics for your first two books. Well, the topic for the first book I picked because it was something that I was interested in, quite honestly. When I was in Chinese medicine school, I was interested in discerning the similarities between Chinese medicine and Ayurveda. And in a large part, the training in Chinese medicine, although it stems from Taoist thought, has been made very clinical um, as a result of the way it's evolved in China and then been passed over to the Western world. So, um, so it was, it was a little too clinical for my philosophical, spiritual uh, underpinnings. And um, I knew there was more to it than, than what I was being taught. And and it wasn't like it wasn't presented in some ways as a very Taoist art, but in order to, you know, pass the exam that you have to take to get licensed, certain things need to be covered in those three long years. So, um, so I was looking to Ayurveda because my background was more solidly in Indian traditions than in Chinese traditions. I had been more exposed to um, you know, yoga and, um, and meditation from the Indian tradition prior to that and had studied it for quite some time before that. And so the essence of that made more sense to me. And so I was able to figure out, you know, what the differences and similarities were in the five elements between the two systems, for example. And then in my own practice, I found myself giving more Ayurveda lifestyle recommendations than Chinese. And I have just uh, filing cabinets full of like sheets, you know, that I'd be handing out people things for this and that and the other thing. And I was, I always kind of thought in the back of my mind, maybe I should just kind of put this all together. And then by chance, um, I ended up with the acquisitions editor uh, at launch of Inner Traditions and uh, he liked the idea. So mm-hmm. that's what happened. They kind of pursued me on that one, honestly. Um, there are only one or two other books that are really in that vein. Mm-hmm. So there's not a huge genre for it. There's not a lot of competition for it. Um, 
And so, and that book's doing all right. And then the microbiome book I got interested in when I was editing the um, Chinese medicine and Ayurveda book, because the information had just come out about the mesentery and the mesentery, like there's, there's a couple of things in Chinese medicine that aren't satisfied by just uh, or weren't anyways at the time I went to school satisfied by just correlating them to something that's identified in Western science. And those are the Sanjiao and the mesentery lining. So the mesentery is quite a different animal in the Chinese system. And the Sanjiao is what was recently discovered as being the interstitium, which they couldn't even see before in, in Western science because there just wasn't the technology to view it. And that fascinated me when I saw that they named the mesentery an actual organ and were starting to look at it in terms of function and not just structure, because it was something that like had really like stimulated my interest when I was in Chinese medicine school. And so then when I went deeper into it and um, I was, there's information about the tie-in with the microbiome and the microbiome and the chi, like there was a lot of things, the spleen chi and the Agni in Ayurveda. There's so many things that the microbiome does in the body that are in Chinese medicine and Ayurveda. It, and, and it just, it just was an area that interested me. And so I pitched the idea and we went with it. Is there anything new on the chopping block? Or are you kind of at this, like, what's next area? I'm kind of uh, at this what's next area. My agent's trying to get me to write a book on energy medicine. Oh, okay. So, um, I want to try to sway your opinion right now. Okay. I, want, I want to try to be, I want to look back at this conversation in, in like a year from now and be like, do you remember when we had this conversation? Okay. This book? Um, I would... I find there's nothing, and this is kind of like what it was with the microbiome and, you know, in your first book, that there's, there's nothing that I have really found that dives deep into mushrooms and their medicinal properties, you know, for the body in like a relatable way that's just really easy for people to read. And that's how you, you wrote your second book where it was just, it was so easy. And like, and mm -hmm. I know from like so many different cultures and you know, so many different perspectives of medicine and like how popular they're becoming now. And, you mm. know, they're like different mushrooms for different reasons, whether you're looking at psilocybin based ones, or if you're just looking at like your turkey tail or your lion's mane or your reshi, like there's, there's so much interest behind it and it's going to get exponentially more. Um, but there's not a lot of really great information you know like or it's not mm. not that there isn't sorry that's a, a poor choice of words there's not a collection of that information that's easily digestible and i don't know why you know i know there's a lot of good books like don't get me wrong but like and i don't know maybe it's like your writing style or how like you wrote your your second book but um because of that, like your experience and your background, I just think that you would be the perfect person to be able to write a book. <laughs> that kind of starts to highlight it because, you know, like it's amazing to me, like how like scared people were to be able to talk about like mushrooms from medicinal properties. Like even if they didn't, weren't like psychedelic mushrooms, they had no psilocybin in them, but just like in general. 
And like, I've always been a mushroom forger. Like my dad, when I was, you know, knee high to a grasshopper, like took me out, we used to forge for mushrooms in, in Southern mm. Alberta. And I loved it. So I've always had that good point to me where it's like very natural, like curiosity, like we would do that. Um, and then moving into the BC, like, it's just, it's amazing. Like it, it, it blows my mind when I'm in the backcountry because you can't help but stop. And everybody that I take into the backcountry eventually gets to this point where it's almost like there could be no trees left. There could be no bushes. There could be no streams. But like when you walk by and you see like this patch of like thousands of these brightly colored yellow and orange or purple, like mushrooms are just like the different styles and like the varieties, like it's always intriguing to people. And mm. like, I feel like there's this, this interesting connection between mushrooms and people how it just sucks people in and obviously we know mm -hmm. like so from a medicinal standpoint there's countless um remedies that involve yeah. um like mushrooms from like multiple different therapies um you know but like i am thoroughly convinced because of some of the studies that i've read especially when that was commissioned out here at ubc what they did is um and i'm sorry if we've talked about this before um that they took blackout tarps and they put them on top of this section of trees. And they left there, I think it was six months or eight months. And they came back and there was no difference to these trees, like at all. Like it was like they had been, they had gone through like photosynthesis the whole time. Like they just, they were producing all this energy. They are perfectly healthy trees. And then they found out that there's this exchange that help, happens between the mycelium and the existing biological life around it because the mushrooms and the mycelium need the CO2 and the existing biological life around it needs the glucose. So there's actually like an exchange that happens between mm. them where like the trees per se will exchange the CO2 with the mushroom um, for, so the mushroom can get um, or supply the glucose, you know, and the sugars that it needs for like the trees. And like, I find that to be really interesting, especially because like mushrooms are kind of like little lungs, you know, how, you know, obviously they breathe in carbon dioxide and expel um, um, oxygen. So I find that to be, like really interesting and how they're not, um, they're not a plant. They're not an animal, you know, like they're mm -hmm. kind of like their own species, like all on their own. But the part to me that I find to be the most cure or the curiosity behind it is because there's a component, like say Japanese forest bathing, like obviously most people listening to this is going to know like what that is. But what I want to know if there's a direct connection between, um, the mycelium layer of the earth in our fascia because they're both very much similar when you kind of like pull it way back like you know like a thousand mile sky high view they act very similar like there there's a very similar kind of um like properties between those two so if you were to say like you know naked in the forest in a meadow you know like obviously there's a lot of components that you know kind of come along you know like with the holistic experience behind that but do we tap into kind of this experience with the mycelium layer and our skin, our fashion, like our, our being like, is that our connection that is the same connection that all other biological life is experiencing with this mycelium layer? Because the mycelium layer is, is across the entire planet, like it, as what we know, mm -hmm. or from what I believe that the research that I've done, there, there's not too much of an interruption you know, in that, except for when you get obviously from land mass to water mass, but, um, you know, like that, I just think that there's so much there, but there's not, everything's very piecemeal at this point in time. And a lot of the, the 
I guess the information that's out there is just kind of like on like these real top ones. And I, I'm sure they do that for like funding where it's like lion's mane and like said turkey tail and reshi and like mm-hmm. all these like, but there's nobody really explaining everything behind that. It's kind of like take lion's mane because you want good cognitive function and there you go. You know, like that, it just like nobody's, mm. there's nothing getting into the essence of it. Yeah. In like a really easy digestible way. And, um, and like I said, just from like the, the, your last two books and stuff, I know that you have a gift for being able to do that. And I think it would be a great topic. And because again, like there's a ton of interest around it right now. Like, I don't think there's any like publicist or anything that could argue the fact that uh, mushrooms of all varieties right now isn't an extremely, extremely um, popular topic of discussion across like Western and Eastern methodologies and just like your recreational foragers. And then, you know, like people, you know, obviously there's a, a huge movement behind um, legalizing and decriminalizing uh, psilocybin based mushrooms as well, right. especially for all like the mid, um, the uh, properties that they're using for healing with like PTSD, um, traumatic brain injury, like, you know, mm-hmm. like there's a lot of research around that as well. And it's kind of bringing that all together because Again, the fear that we know is that all mushrooms are evil, which is what a lot of people believe. There's a lot of miseducation because we were taught mushrooms were poison for your brain. And mm-hmm. if you eat mushrooms, your brain is going to get fried and you're going to die. Like there's, there's still a lot of miseducation around it. And I just think there's a huge space to be able to help kind of turn the table from like those public service announcements that we all heard from kids that like, all mushrooms are terrible, except for the little ones you get in the grocery store that happen to be different for some unknown reason, but those are safe, but everything else is bad. Have you read the book Entangled Life? No. By Rupert Sheldrake? No. I Check like that get... one out. And if you okay. still feel like you need uh, some more books like that, let me know. Yeah. Oh, and like I said, like, I, I love information, love to be able to read, love to be able to like experiment and all that kind of stuff. And like I said, it's just, and I guess maybe just like nothing, like, you know, like mainstream enough. And, you know, like yeah. I actually like, I'm a, a firm believer in there's something that we don't really know about the, the full scale scope of the healing properties of all the different mushrooms that are mm. like available to it on this planet. And if there's a singular source for things that are medicinally good for us to be able to help fight kind of any and all. I don't know anything really outside of like mushrooms that has such an abundance. Like I know you can maybe classify herbs as a, an entirety, but I just don't know if like herbs as everything would classify the same thing as like singular mushrooms. You know, it's not like that there's like, you know, 50 million kinds of, you know, like basil or something. And all those varieties of basil have, you know, like medicinal properties, kind of like what, like mushrooms would, but I'm really interested in mm-hmm. reading that book that you just suggested, if you feel, cause I kind of like, you're like nudging me down a road of like, it's a, it's a really good one. Yeah, I think it is. I've, I've looked at it before. I haven't read it myself yet, but it's on my list. What are your, what are your thoughts and opinions just with your, with your background? Like, where are you at on, on the mushroom end of things? Well, I personally love mushrooms. I love, you know, culinary mushrooms. I love knowing 
what mushrooms do and how I can incorporate the medicinal properties of mushrooms into cooking. Um, I take a mushroom supplement um, for immunity and cognitive functioning. And um, I think that I, I think that it is an, un, an untapped area. I think a lot more people are, are getting into it. I think a lot more people are into like knowing how to identify mushrooms and, and wild foraging for them. Um, I think farmers markets are a great resource for that because there's usually always a mushroom person at the farmers market. Yeah. And they have good tips about what ones to use for different things. And um, some of them are manufacturing growing kits so that you can grow them at home. And um, I think probably most of the mushroom people are so into using the mushrooms and cultivating the mushrooms that they're not writing about the mushrooms. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Is there um, is there a big footprint in either, um, you know, from like a Ayurvedic standpoint or a TCM, like, do either one of those incorporate mushrooms in more or do they Absolutely. both not or um, no, they maybe... both do. But in, in Chinese medicine, they're used more medicinally. I would say more often in Ayurvedic medicine, my extent to their medicinal use is limited as far as um, a, a medicinal herbal type of product, but um, they're classified as having more of a tamasic state. Uh, inducing a tamasic state in the body. So eating a lot of mushrooms would be uh, considered um, to kind of something that you would do to kind of dull yourself or slow yourself down. So I have, I'd have to look into that more. Mm -hmm. So I don't overdo it with mushrooms because of that, but um, I haven't done enough of my own investigation to, to warrant whether that's even whether what I'm even thinking about it is, is totally accurate. So I'd have to look into it more. The first time that I ever found lion's mane when I was hiking, like for one, like it just completely blew my mind because I wasn't even actually for, I was just hiking. I wasn't foraging or expecting to see anything. Um, and huh? it was just like, it was astonishing to me. It was like this piece about like this long and, um, and I couldn't help it, but I, like, I just, so I started nibbling on it a little bit. And um, I probably ate, you know, maybe about like, you know, about this much or so. I don't know if it's easy to be able to tell how much that is. And um, oh my gosh, it was such a mistake. Not that what it happened? was not that it was bad. <laughs> it was just like, like my mind couldn't think fast enough. My body couldn't move fast enough. I was just like, it was like Whoa. I was like eyes like what, and it wasn't wow. bad. It wasn't like that. I regretted it. It was uh -huh. just like. I didn't have a function for it. So if I had a function right, right. for that, it would have been amazing. But I had no outlet. Like it was like, yeah. I needed to run as fast as I could run. I needed to write a book <laughs> as fast as I could write a book. And then I needed to like, just somehow explode like all this, like it, like it, it was the most fascinating experience. But I realized cool. I'm like, if I eat that much, if I dried out this lion's mane and then, you know, like I encapsulate it and it's so fresh for compares like the, you know, pills that you would find in a lion's mane bottle, how much did I really eat? Like I still have like no idea, but I just, right. the, the one thing that I liked about it was that even though it was the most like intense state of hyper-focus of everything, like, like aware of my body, like in like just my physical presence 
inside of this world, hyper focus on the world itself around me is like I said, like my cognitive capacity, my physical capacity being like so hyper, hyper aware of like all those things. And then all of a sudden it's just like, oh, we're just done with that now. Either it was just, I, it, it was weird. It was just all of a sudden I just realized I'm like, hmm. I'm like, all that's kind of gone. You know, like, uh-huh. like what exactly happened there? There wasn't like this crash or there wasn't this stomach ache. There wasn't like this headache there, like none of that. It was just basically like somebody turned the light switch off and it, and we were just done with it now. It was, it was huh. the strangest, strangest, but like, I probably arguably took like a hundred or 300 times more than like what a recommended dosage is just right. because like, who knows like what the bioavailability of like the active ingredients in that lion's mane is going to be by the time it actually gets to you. And I know like there's a right. lot of, you know, like mushroom based supplements out there now that, you know, like don't use the fruiting body or, you know, like use like the rye wheat or the mycelium. Like there's just, you know, we don't even really know what you're getting, like when you're buying it. I know in, in Canada specifically, they're starting to make it mandatory that you write like what part of the, mm-hmm. the mushroom that you're using, which is great for people who actually like care to research what they're using. Um, but I just found it to be like the, the, like the, the best ex- an experience that's the best experience ever. I wouldn't regularly want to feel that way. Um, except for, like I said, if I had a, an actual use for it, because it was just, it was too much for not being able to do anything with it. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It's just, How long uh, did it last for when you did it? Uh, probably like an hour and a half or so, maybe two oh, hours. Okay. So not long. Yeah. Not long at all. And, um, but like I said, it just, it was like, wait, it would be like, if you had, you know, all the money in the world and you're just like, I know that there's those people who need financial help over there, but I just happen to be over here and have no way to give it to them. And they just felt like he had this wasted potential. Wow. So, that's cool. Yeah. And, um, huh. and, and the thing is for me too, like, it's just like the versatility of them, like how many um, different companies are starting to make jerky out of it. Like, you know, just like drying it out, it kind of has like that texture where it's a little bit more like beef jerky, you know, like for right. vegans, which it actually tastes really good. And they're starting to make pat or shipping, uh, like packaging, um, out of mycelium because of how strong it is. Oh, right. Like, yeah. Yeah. They can make building materials out of mycelium, kind of like how they used yeah. to make building materials out of hemp. Like, like there's there's that. And I feel like that, you know, outside of the medicinal point, like a lot of people don't know any of those things either. And how like, this is going to be at one point in time, a very universal product that we'll see in a lot of the like parts of our day, especially when it comes to like uh, compostable products and like reducing like that impact of, you know, using plastics and and fossil fuels. Mm. So there you go. Mm. That's my sales pitch for, uh, for some investigation <laughs> for you into writing a book. So whether it takes oh, okay. or not, at least I, I've, uh, I've voiced my, my opinion on what I feel like your third book should be. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So uh, you uh, planted the seed. Planted the seed. Um, is there anything else you want to go or we got to unfortunately wrap this thing up here. Um, is there anything else that's on your mind? I know it's been a long no. time since we've talked and stuff, but yeah, yeah. all good. No, we'll catch up again next month. Good. Awesome. Well, thank you yeah. so much again for coming You're on the show. Welcome. I really appreciate it. Thanks Have for a good having day. me. You too.